close together as possible, as much as possible. Sisters also, try your best to sit as close as possible. Try not to have any gaps in between. Let us sit with talab, sit with the intention of benefiting tremendously. And uh, let's turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, asking Allah azza wa jal to put immense benefit in our sitting here. And allow our sitting here to become a means of our hidayah and our guidance to be able to hear that which we all need in our lives, inshallah. If we should take a moment to make this dua. Allahumma <laughs> بعد أن أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كلوا من طيبات ما رزقناكم ولا تطغوا فيه فيحل عليكم غضبي ومن يحلل عليه غضبي فقد هوى وإني لغفار لمن تاب وآمن وعمل صالحا ثم اهتدى وما أعجلك عن قومك يا موسى قال هم أولئك على أثري وعجلت إليك رب لترضى قال فإنا قد فتنا قومك من بعدك وأضلهم السامري الله عز وجل this new story mentions the the blessings upon بني إسرائيل by saving them from the enemy فرعون and how he had promised them that they will be receiving the Torah and he continued to provide them not only spiritual sustenance but also um, physical body, uh, sustenance for the stomach, for the, for the body by sending down man and, and salwa for free, free food every single day right? and not only one course, multi-course which included dessert but it's interesting, you know the Bani Israel habit, we all have the habit which is no matter what is given to us, we're always ready to complain. So even though it was for free, without any effort, it literally was just descending upon them without any work. They said, we want to change the menu. Right? So, uh, can we have onions? Can we have some vegetables? This reminds us of our own discussions at home, or maybe in the madrasa, or, where, or wherever the youth are or wherever anyone, not just youth, anyone who hasn't worked on their nafs is that whatever is given to them, the appreciation, instead of being thankful and grateful what Allah or our parents or our um, community is, is giving us to eat or our madrasa is giving us to eat a person then begins to uh, wish for different things and it's always, the grass is always greener on the other side we're never happy with what a person is given this is a certain type of attitude, this is a certain type of temperament if you don't fix that early on, we'll suffer for the rest of our lives Many times, this is what we learn from our teachers. They say, when you go to study in a certain madrasa, you will always find that certain places they'll have something, some strengths and some weaknesses. 
But if you have a habit of focusing on the weaknesses and you say, as Mulana Chokhsi would say, say, Thamma khaira, Thamma khaira, Vaha chai, Vaha chai, Thamma means over there. Vaha chai, it's good over there. If you have this habit of always looking on the other side, you will only keep on jumping fences and going all day, this, all year, all life, that's what you'll be doing. Before you can graze, oh, let me go jump over there a little bit. Let me jump over there. And you won't even be able to get anything. Because you're always focusing on the weaknesses of where you are and the strengths of where somewhere else is. Instead of focusing on the strengths of what Allah has blessed you and the weaknesses of every other place. Why is that important? Because you need to be content with where you are to fully benefit from where you are at. This is, starts off in school. Then it moves on all the way to your marriage. That if everyone focuses on the weaknesses of their spouse and the strengths of the other people out there, then they will never be happy in their marriage. The, the way to go about is focusing on the strengths of your spouse and think about weaknesses of anyone else who, who shaitan may bring them in front of you to say, oh, this would have been a good person to get married to. Or look at how nice they have a life. Who says that? Someone who is focusing on the strengths of others and not the weaknesses of others. And who becomes unhappy with their marriage is the one who keeps on focusing on the weaknesses of their spouse or the issues in their marriage instead of focusing on the beautiful strengths that they have. So this is a type of crooked mizaj and temperament. It's a disease of the soul where a person does not concentrate and focus on the blessings at hand and is always looking at blessings of other situations. And it has, is a pessimistic attitude. So, it's, so for students, mashallah, who are studying in an institution, this is, starts off from, from right now. That you focus on the strengths, strengths that, of, of, and the blessing that Allah is giving you and not the obvious... We're not in Jannah. If everything is perfect, that means you died, the day of judgment is over and your soul is in paradise. That has not happened, by the way. So it's not possible that every single thing will be the way you want it to be. There has to be issues. If there's no issues, like I said, you're not living in this world. There must be issues. But you just, we need to know how to mitigate around those issues, how to handle those issues. And the way to handle it is, focus on the blessings and don't focus on the weaknesses. So Bani Israel, we talk about, oh, Bani Israel was like this. So how are we any different? As the Quran says, yes, that, um, they changed, you know, the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah mentions that uh, they wanted, uh, they wanted vegetables, they wanted onions, basal and bakal and qitha, wanted cucumber. Get in a look. I'm being honest. Students will say, oh brother, I don't like this, um, you know, burger. I want healthy food. I want to eat healthy. I don't want to eat fast food. Okay, khalas, we'll get you, you know, nice dal chawal or even, uh, you know, go, uh, some meat and some gravy. And then they won't eat the food. But where did you go? I went out to go eat some, you know, fries and get a burger. This is something I've been noticing for over a decade. That this is an issue not with the food, the issue with the mizaj, tarbiyah, and the nafs. SubhanAllah, whatever is given to for free, a person doesn't value that. Or if a person gets for a cheap price, doesn't value that. What he wants, he wants to go eat out. That same food, you put it outside and say, okay, pay $15. Your mom's vegetables, your mom's dal, put it in a plate, put it out in a restaurant, and say, you pay 15 bucks. You see how nice all of a sudden that starts tasting. How is that messed up? The problem is not with the food, the problem is with ourselves. We have a major issue. Previously, people would say that whatever food is outside, subhanAllah, it's manhus, it's got the, it has got the germs of the marketplace. It is not pure, it's not clean, it's not even, not even external hygiene, but definitely no spiritual hygiene at all. You have people who are, who are not Muslims, you have people who are not in tahara, not, who are not in state of purity, who are in najasa, who are surrounded with filth and sins, 
got the music playing, I've got all sorts of different things happening, and they're cooking, and, some, and obviously not even external hygiene too, because there's no sense of making food tayyib and clean. It's just another customer. You spit on it, you do whatever you want, it falls on the ground. You've seen little videos of that. Uh, burgers being taken from the floor of a fast food restaurant, thrown in and given to the customer. This is norm. Insiders will tell you all this. And so what, what's, what's cooked at home, with, with purity, with the cleanliness of the heart, with, the, with iman, with dhikr, with that our moms and, and sisters and mothers and fathers, subhanAllah, and whoever else is cooking, and yourself cooking, is something which is supposed to actually taste so much better. It is. But the issue is not with the food, the issue is the taste buds. Like if someone says, I can no longer smell ither. And we say this, we, the, it's not all the ithers of the world have lost their fragrance. We'll say you have COVID. I cannot smell coffee anymore. Morning coffee. Nuh-uh. I don't smell it. You're not going to say coffee lost its fragrance you're gonna, or smell. You're going to say you'll be got COVID. So when a person says home food tastes horrible, mom's food tastes bad, and everything that's given to me on a plate is not good, but everything I have to pay $20 in a marketplace for tastes good, then you know the issue is with the taste buds. Believe it or not, there were, there, it's written in the books of our mashayikh, subhanAllah, that they were so particular about eating from from tayyib sources, meaning homemade, halal. And not just halal, but the fact of just making sure that every step of the way, there is no doubtful you know, issue in there. And by, by just being careful on this one aspect, what happens? It's like you're using ultimate, pure, high-end, high-grade fuel. When you use high-end, high-pure, high-grade fuel, then the engine also obviously is going to be absolutely much more efficient. And it's going to give you a lot better output. The cheaper fuel, or worse than that, mixed with something else you put it in there, then depending on how bad what you're putting in, the engine is going to fall apart. The Quran says, Ya ayyuhal ladhi amanu, kulu min at tayyibati wa amalu salihan. Yes? What is it? Ya ayyuhal ladhi amanu. O believers, eat kulu min at tayyibat, eat from that which is pure, wa amalu salihan, and do good deeds. Ulama say the Quran is such that Allah gives, connect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words in the Quran all have a very specific order. Why one verse comes before or one verse comes after? Or why. Uh, within a verse, there is a um, order of things, sentences. It's obviously divine. It's something special. Nafmu durar fi tanasibil ayati wa suwar is like a thirty-volume tafsir by Alama Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi that focuses on the connection between every single verse of the Quran, and it'll tell you all the multitude of reasons why one verse comes where and why there's there's no switching of he, of, of one verse with the other. So. Allah says, O oh, believers, eat from the pure things, وَعْمَلُوا صَالِحًا and do good deeds. So the ulama say, one is leading to the other. Eating pure foods, not halal, tayyib has been used. Way beyond zabiha, way beyond halal, way beyond basically, you know, UK and, and whatever other symbols on it, and slaughter properly, is that the next notch, it has to be absolutely from stage one to stage to your plate. From the farm to the platter, or to the plate, it needs to be pure. No doubtful things, no doubtful money, no doubtful hands, no najasa. The, the more strict you are on this, then the next thing will happen. What is the next thing? Wa'amalu saliha. Wa'amalu saliha means do good deeds. Meaning the purity of the food will dictate how much tawfiq you will get to do the good deeds. One leads to the other. The worst type of food a person eats, the more polluted food, the less desire for doing good deeds. And that is hence you've heard that the one who eats a morsel of haram, 
how it will affect the acceptance of his du'as for the next 40 days. Acceptance of his du'a and ibadah for the next 40 days. That doesn't mean his salah he'll have to repeat it. It just simply means that the, the, um, the soul of that du'a is gone. The soul of the ibadah is gone. Because when a person eats haram or doubtful food, it has an effect on the spirituality where they don't feel like doing ibadah. And if they even raise their hands in dua, they just simply do not enjoy it. Now an average person listening to what I'm saying may not understand or appreciate what, what is being said. But those who are particular, for example, know exactly that there's, there's so much truth to that. I mean, I don't know much about, for example, paint, body paint of a car. But those who know will say that, you know, uh, one person I was speaking to, he was saying that, you know, uh, if right from the dealership, some exotic cars are brought in for a paint job. And I, I said, what are you talking about? A brand new or used? A brand new exotic car is brought in for a, uh, you know, a, a paint job. And I just, I just, how is that possible? $300,000, $250,000 being brought in. He said, well, you know, actually they have a lot of blemishes. I said, brand new, $250,000 exotic car has blemishes. He said, yes, you put it on a special light and you will see all the blemishes in it. So now if you want to go to the nitty gritty, this is where you can go. The straight from the dealership, you're going to a, a body shop to be able to get a fresh coat of some extra paint because Ferrari or Lamborghini didn't do a good enough job. So those who are so focused to that level, they can see it. You and I would just, would never be able to even notice it. Similarly, those who work on spirituality and who've led of life being careful about what they eat, they know exactly what I'm talking about. What is that? That if they were particular about their, what they eat, then they have a special type of enjoyment in supplication, dua, and salah that others cannot even fathom of getting. And the one time they end up eating a meal in which there's doubtful food, immediately it hits them. The next salah, they can't concentrate. The next salah, they don't want to sit even for two minutes to do dua or dhikr. They have to leave. And they themselves have the ability to do self-diagnostics. Self-diagnosis that, you know what, something just happened. Wait. I usually sit after Luhar for 5 minutes to do dua. I usually sit after Isha for 12 minutes. After Maghrib, I sit and do 15 minutes of adhkar. After Fajr, I sit for half an hour. Why is it today that I can't sit? Why is it that I've lost my chain of thought during my dua? Why is it that in sajda, I'm thinking about everything else besides Allah? Okay, what happened? Their minds immediately go, where did I have lunch? Whose house did I eat it? Where, where did I, where, what meal was it? What, did, where, what, was it? what restaurant was it? What home was it? What was going on in that restaurant, in that home? I've had many, mashallah, young or elderly brothers also come up to me and say, you know what, I think that earlier me meal we had at some place, there's something doubtful about that. So what happened? He said, I could feel it in my salah. There's something would happen. Something happened. How did, most people never feel that because they were already in so many layers of darkness. Extra haram to lower haram, you can't tell the difference. You have to be leading an absolutely pure, clean diet, tayyib diet. And then even a small mixture of doubtful things will Im immediately allow you to feel what happened. It's mentioned in the books that uh, there was one of the you know, small children, they are, you know, uh, they, are, they are very pure, and sometimes their purity becomes a little bit too much. You know what I mean? Too much? And no, you don't know what I'm talking about. So that means is that some certain things start unveiling for them, which are just, they're not supposed to unveil for them. In a good sense, but then you're not mature enough to be start seeing these things. So it is mentioned about the books of one, uh, you know, one of the ulama, that his uh, this little kids, he, he, the sheikh would come in the masjid to pray and lead and give the dars, and his son or his little, you know, nephew or the kids, one or two boys would be outside, you know, after salah playing with them, playing outside by the door, innocent little children. So one day he went outside, <laughs> and he saw his kids there. He said, "Beta, what are you guys, What are you doing?" He saw all they are playing with the shoes. They had separated the shoes. 
said, what are you all doing? He said, we're separating the shoes of the people going to Jannah from the people going to Jahannam. It was a game for them. But he realized what's going on. That there is light that is being exposed in the shoes for, for them and darkness that is being exposed to them. They could just tell that these are good shoes. Of, I mean, these are shoes of good people. These are shoes for bad people. That light, how does that come? It's not natural. It's not normal, rather I should say. But sometimes, before time, it's like a, can a child see angels? Is that possible? Tell me. Yes, it is. Sometimes it happens. I've met people, you know, that they start having these type of visions. So when you have these type, there are certain people who actually have, I mean, it's a long topic and not all of us can understand this. So let me leave that. But the idea is, certain times, things Allah opens up to the extreme level of clarity of the heart. What we call, what do you call this? Mukashafa. Okay, kashafa means to open up something. So mukashafa is where certain things are unveiled. Certain things are unveiled. So, but now the father, the sheikh, knows that this is not good for my child to see this. And imagine if the people of the town hear this, and the people of the masjid hear this. So he went to a sheikh, he asked, what should I do? He said, bazaar mein jaldi le jao, bazaar ki mithai kila do usko, bas. He said, he sheikh, go outside to the marketplace, quickly get him a piece of sweet from the marketplace, and just give your kids to eat. They'll be okay. Done. That level of extra clarity will go away by just simply eating the sweets from the marketplace. This was way before you had 15 ingredients that none of us can pronounce. Past the first ingredient, we're pretty much unpar. We become ummi. We can't read what it means. We can't even have, forget about understanding. We can't even have a hard time pronouncing the ingredients. Allahu alam what we're being fed. But that is a major reason today we have find disinterest in ibadah, in salah, in dua, in dhikr, because what we eat. I cannot over, uh, you know, highlight the importance of staying away from processed foods. Not only for the physical health, which is obvious all of you probably get that, but the spiritual health as well. When you say, if you can't understand the first three ingredients, or, and what, if you can't understand the, like 80% of the ingredients, leave it, or if, if the first three ingredients have sugar, leave it. All of those things apply not only to the physical body, apply to the spiritual soul as well. The more wholesome food that we eat, the, be- the more we will be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you were to try that from this week until next tafsir of next week, and just say, okay, fine, this one week, I am going to stay away from eating out. Or I'm going to stay away from eating something that's been cooked by someone who's not a Muslim or a muttaqi. Or I'm going to stay away from eating something which is processed and not something that is, you know, a straight up very simple food. Uh, you'll see if you just do that for one week you come back next week and you'll come and tell me how you feel within one week you will, le- you will gain such level of clarity of, in your spirit and soul that you will be able to enjoy ibadah like you haven't been able to do so before this is guaranteed now you take that for the next week and the third week and the fourth week you do a full 40 days six weeks on this where are you going to be at? our Ustad Azad Mona Shabir Saab he is so particular amongst all our aloma too when he travels even in Umrah and etc I would say, I brought, I brought for you, you know, this, this, this thing, that thing. No, he said, nothing. Everything, while he's even in Umrah and Hajj, every single thing is home cooked from one of his students or someone. And if there's not available, seriously, he will not eat. He will, he, almost all the time I've seen in the Haram, besides the day of Eid, he's fasting. Almost every day he fasts there. And then, when he's, whatever does he break his fast on? Dates and, and Kajur and uh, Zamzam, and someone brings a tiffin from home. Even if it's under roti, you know, egg and roti, whatever it is. But that's all it is. 
He's like, if I've come all the way here, I'm gonna be extra particular of what I'm eating. Right? Not eating anything in any restaurant or any hotel. But subhanAllah, do you all, am I saying all, all of you can do that immediately today? No, but my point is, you, you, the more effort you put into something, you want to know how a certain basketball player reached his, his amazing record-breaking stats? He didn't happen. He wasn't like doing what I was doing. He's obviously spending his time in a different manner to be able to reach where he is today. Do you agree? So the reason I'm sharing that, when I share, let's say, Fulan basketball player's r- r- workout routine or basketball routine, it's not to say, oh, let's do that right now. It's to inspire you that if you aspire to become like him, then you have to also put the effort like him. And you also have to make the decisions like he's done. So if we want to become spiritually strong, we also have to learn how to make certain decisions. And it starts off with being happy with man as salwa. Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down to, to you from your mom and dad, right? Or from your spouse, or what you have at home. Be happy and content with that. And have an attitude of, have the attitude of appreciation instead of always being unhappy with what is presented and saying, I want something different. This is a very big spiritual disease which I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He cures me of, cures all of you of. And He makes us amongst the most grateful servants of His. And He makes us from amongst those who only eat tayyib and halal food. And may He allow us to enjoy the benefit of that. What's the next ayah? Read it. Huh? Eat of the wholesome foods. There you go. This is the connection. Man wa salwa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, listen, man wa salwa is tayyib. It's coming from that paradise. It's coming from me. What could you possibly get more wholesome than this? And if I chose it for you, it's the best food. Stop asking to change the menu. Eat what it has been given because you don't live to eat. You don't come to Chicago to eat, although some people do. But you know, we, are, we eat to survive. That's it. But we are not living simply to eat. So this is the mizaj and the temperament that we have to have. Again, our Ustad Mawchuksi Sahib would say, Ye insan ko dekho. Look at this human being. All of the different types of exclu- exclusive ex- foods and beautiful multi-course meals and the expensive $300 chef menu at some restaurant, right? And the hours and hours of preparing it takes to for a pasta or a special dish or a bread, whatever. Yesara kuch anaj ko pesh karne he said, all it is at the end of the day is to take grains and present it in different manners. At the end of the day, it's grains that came from the earth and it's going to go back into the earth after it goes through your body. That's it. But it's different sophisticated ways of presenting grain. Whether it's corn, whether it's wheat, or whether it's uh, barley, that's it. Think about it. It's, that's the haqiqah of it. The idea is just to simply take care of your body. You have enough something. Nabi said, it is sufficient. Luqaymat. Sir, a few small morsels are sufficient for the human being. Yuqimna sulbahu. By which he can keep his back straight. A few. Luqaymat is tasgheer. Which means a diminutive form. A small few morsels of food are sufficient for the Ibn Adam to keep his back straight. And so Nabi alayhi salatu salam. He showed us that you can conquer the world with eating very little. And actually in reality, those who do great things in life are the ones who are particular about this. There is one poem in, uh, in, uh, in Ma'alim Irshadiyas mentioned that ju'a, ju'a, hunger was asked, Aina taskun? Where do you live? Oh hunger, where do you live? And hunger responded by saying, That I reside in the turbans of the jurist. What does that mean? That the true ulama of the past, subhanAllah, they didn't have the means to provide for themselves and they lived on very meager means 
So remaining hungry was a norm. Yet they wrote 500, 150 volume books and they taught thousands and thousands of students while remaining with barely few means of, of, of sustenance. So this is something interesting that Jew ulama have talked a lot about this, have written multiple pages and books on this topic. That the ilm that a person gets through hunger, that ilm a person will never be able to get through a full satiated stomach. It seems to be counterintuitive. But this deen is a whole different ball game. We're talking about the nur from Allah. The nur from Allah that comes into a person doesn't come through thiqal. What thiqal? Have being heavy. Heavy spiritually. Spiritual heaviness comes with eating impure food. You know you say, I feel hollow. I just don't feel like doing anything. I'm down. I'm depressed. I don't want to come out of the home. I don't want to go to the masjid. This is called thiqal. Where does the thiqal come in? It comes in from wrong diet. It's not even overeating. It's eating the wrong things. Wrong things. Some little kids, they don't eat much. But they are very thaqil. Their soul is very heavy. They don't like to read Quran. They don't like to go to the masjid. And they're skinny. They don't eat much. They, have a, they don't even have an appetite. But why are they like that? One big reason is because whatever they do eat is horrible. It's a lot of this foods that have a lot of atharat in there. It's not pure. It's not pure. It's not, it doesn't have a good effect on them. So when they eat those type of artificially flavored, artificially, like yesterday I came across fish. SubhanAllah, it looked beautiful, big nice salmon. Right in front of it, printed, it says, artificially colored. I was like, what? Artificially colored salmon. What are we eating? Right? How is this, this going to be, subhanAllah, anything good coming out of these things? So Allah Azza wa Jalla asks us, Eat wholesome foods which we have given you. But do not transgress in the food. You can, similar to the previous ayah of the 18th Jews, I told you, What was that? Eat good and practice good. You can see over here, eat good and don't transgress. Meaning, if you eat good food, it will help you not become a transgressor. You can also take that meaning. I explained last week that don't transgress meaning, don't usurp this halal food. If you take halal food and you steal pure wheat, that becomes haram. Right? But also you can say that by eating halal food, you will be saved from becoming a transgressor. Allah says, otherwise my, my punishment will befall you and whoever, uh, um, whoever my wrath befalls, he is truly fallen from my grace. Faqad hawa. So let us, fo- instead of focusing on what people will say, let us think what will Allah say. And Allah doesn't just say, Allah does. Allah says in the Quran, surah, last ayat of Surah Ghashiyah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, What is the last ayat of Surah Ghashiyah? Inna ilayna iyabahum, thumma inna alayna hisabahum. Indeed, to us is their return, and then indeed upon us is their accounting. Allah Azza wa says, فَنُنَبِّيُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ How many places the Qur'an says this? فَنُنَبِّيُكُمْ So many places. We will inform you of what you used to do. You, all, you obviously know informing doesn't just mean, hey, by the way, this is what you did. Informing means, this is what you did, hence this is why you're going to get punished in this manner. So, what our continuous thought process should be, how am I doing in the sight of Allah? And that's not what society thinks about today. Society is thinking, what we think about is what society in Urdu says, society kya kehrigi? Loog kya kehenge? What are people gonna do? The purpose of a marriage, very important. The loft, the, the, the israf and the extravagance that happens in a marriage is on the basis of what? A man doesn't have the means. He'll take credit card loans. He'll borrow money. 
in order to throw a lavish party which he cannot afford. Also just so that people can say, MashaAllah, that was an amazing wedding. Bhai, they're already thinking, they're in your wedding, they're already looking at where else they're invited this weekend. Okay? I swear they will not, uh, if, I'm telling about myself, I don't remember. The next day, I'm sorry for those of you who invited me before. I can't, after 24 hours, I'm not going to remember what I ate. And I move on, life moves on. I'm not going to remember what those flowers are. Maybe some of you do. I don't. Right? You're sitting there thinking about what color was it. No, I don't remember what color was the seat. It's just, and I'm sure there's thousands of other people like that too. But this is in your mind. In your mind is that if I don't spend X amount of money, then what are people going to say? Instead of, what is Allah going to say? If I have music in my wedding, if I have a mixed wedding, right? If I have dancing, which is happening, it breaks my heart. That subhanAllah, the masjid going crowd is having, is, is weddings are just like, I don't have, I don't go to such places, alhamdulillah, and those people don't invite me as well. But guess what? It's not those people. It's masjid going crowd. Now you have the whole concept of, you know, it's not now, it started from a long time ago. Uh, 8 till 9 p.m., kosher, halal. But bhai, aap, no baji, aap jaiya. 9 o'clock, please excuse yourself. Aapki dadi badi, aap jaiya, inshallah, 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, inshallah, please leave, because now the real party starts, or the after party. Sometimes that starts at 10, sometimes that starts at 10.30. But you're, you, my, I, I, I'm honored, mashallah, you, 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 don't want, you don't want to make a fool out of yourself in front of, in front of an alim, in front of an uncle of the family. But look at Allah, you're going to send out Allah? Allah, go out, please, huh? 9 o'clock, please, don't look here anymore. How's that going to work? How's that going to work? Seriously. Nothing is hidden from him in the heavens and the earth. He knows that even one millisecond misuse of the eye, he knows. Who, when the partition got removed, looked the other, on the other side. And who's locking into whose eyes? And who's locking into someone else's dress? All of that is being counted and watched. How do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not aware of what's happening when we remove the partition? And to say now is, it is the post-halal wedding. You see people who are not connected to the masjid, people don't pray, people who eat haram, people who don't have any, any concept of deen, they do that, they have, bigger, they have bigger issues. They need to first like, get their fard salah down. You get what I'm saying? They have to make sure they stop earning haram. They got to focus on that. But those who are the masjid, fard salah, sunnat, witr, uh, nafil, mashallah, ishraq, mashallah, hifz class, student, boys and girls in a hifz class, mashallah, son and daughter in the alima program, alim program, and then they do things like this, then there's some serious problem here. Because what is the root cause of this? We are trying to fit in. We care about what society says more than what Allah says. We care about not falling from the esteem of the fusaq and fujar instead of falling from the esteem of Allah. So that is a disease we must address. Because if you go down that line, then there, we're, we don't know when we're going to stop. And that's what Nabi ﷺ said to the gist of what he said. The, mo- the biggest fool, the biggest loser, is the one who ruins his akhirah for someone else's dunya. The one who ruins his hereafter to please someone else's dunya, to make someone else happy in this dunya, he loses his own akhirah. Because not only do you have to pay the, uh, the band, you know, none of your guests are gonna pay for the band, none of the guests are gonna pay for the singers and the dancers, none of them are gonna pay for the disco lights, none of them are gonna pay for all the other haram that's happening there. You have to pay the bill, guess what? Not in the dunya, you also have to pay the bill in the qabar. They're not going to come pay for it for you. You have to pay the bill on, in the day of judge, on the day of judgment. No one's going to come and say, sell a 50-50. Come, I'll burn for you half, half of the years. In hell. 
It's not going to happen. Every man for himself. So if so, you cannot change the world, dear brothers and sisters who are listening to me. You cannot change yourself, the, the world, but you can definitely say, I'm not going to pay the bill for this in the dunya nor in the qabr, man. You, pro- you want to do like this? I'm not stopping you. Do whatever you want. But if I'm paying the bill, then I must make sure that no haram happens. Because for every single cent, Allah Azza wa is going to behold me accountable. Such a basic thing. Am I saying something complicated? Tell me, boys. Huh? I'm saying something complicated. It's something basic that if you come to salah, you put your head down five times a day in front of Allah. How can we expect barakah to come? We say, no, we want Sheikh Sudais to come to perform our daughter's nikah. And we want you, Angel Jibreel shows up to perform your daughter's nikah. No barakah is going to come in there, I promise you. If you have haram happening there, by just starting up your gathering with some recitation of the Quran, and you think that barakah is going to come, by who are we fooling? Seriously. That's why ulama have written the one who says Bismillah and drinks wine, what happens? He becomes a kafir, a disbeliever. The one who performs salah intentionally without wudu, he, he leaves the fold of Islam. Because this is, this is making fun of the deen. That, you know what? I'm gonna say, Allah, you said don't drink, right? I'm gonna say your name, I'm not drinking. Okay, you're gonna mess with Allah. Make fun of Allah. This is an act of kufr. Someone says, I don't want to pray. I'm, I'm weak. I pray. I don't want to pray. I'm falling asleep. That's one thing. But someone says, who says you have to do wudu? I'm going to pray without wudu. Ulama have written examples of this. These are acts of kufr. Similarly, a person who says that I am going to try to whitewash or Islamic wash my wedding by throwing in a Quran there. And everyone should think, mashallah, what Islamic wedding? Or try to invite scholars and say, mashallah, look, I had fulan alim, fulan scholar in my wedding. So everything is fine. That's why it's written in the books of fiqh that a scholar should never be present in any wedding in which haram is taking place. His presence is a stamp of approval. And a qadi and a judge and a mufti of the town need to be far away and even a student of knowledge because their presence allows people to think that this type of behavior is acceptable. Beloved brothers and sisters who attend the masajid, who call yourself to be traditional Muslims, call yourself to be practicing Muslims, to call yourself religious-minded, please we need to ensure that our gatherings also have 100% halal, not 30%, not 50%. Subhanallah. This is a big deception of shaitan. And it is our job to, you know, to work on this. Like I said, those of us who are far away from the deen, they have got other... They have to work on more fundamental issues. My message is for those who regard themselves as practicing Muslims. For Allah's sake, make our marriages also practicing. And what was the root cause of it? We, that's why we went on this topic. It's because they are worrying about falling from the esteem of the people. Falling from the esteem of the people. Sometimes a person may say, I have a lot of contacts who are non Muslim. Yeah? Colleagues. I have a lot of contacts who don't who practice Islam. So in order to accommodate them, I have to do certain things. And this goes back to, I think I mentioned some points of this in my last week's stuff here, possibly. That if you want to have a powerful effect on someone, then when you bring them to your event, do it in the manner the way you do things. For example, real example, if you call a Caucasian colleague, you think he's really excited about eating a, a burger or steak at your wedding? Or does he ask him for, can I have some of that biryani? I love those triangle little things. What have you called that? Sambosa? That's what he's going to say. He will want desi food because he's excited. He's like, I'm coming to an Indian Pakistani wedding. I want to see things the way you all do. I don't want you to copy my wedding and the way we do things. 
I want your foods. I want your ethnic foods. Because that's what he's, enjoy that's what he's enjoying. But you say, no, since you're used to having wine and dine, we've made a separate section for you. How's that going to feel? That is absolutely not acceptable on our behalf, and it's not going to leave him any impressed from our, our culture or our deen. Right? So culturally, we try to say, oh, this is how we Indians do things. This is how we Pakistanis do things. This is how we Bangladeshis do things, or whatever the case may be. Similarly, you have to say, this is how we Muslims do things. We start off the wedding with Asr Salah or Maghrib Salah. We end it with Isha Salah. We have a tilaw of the Quran. We have a scholar share some words. We have a beautiful nasheed. We talk about the rights of the wife and the husband. And then, alhamdulillah, the women have a lot of fun, but on their side. The men have a lot of fun, but on their side. Right? This is how we do things. The only one who's going to be mixing today is the husband and the wife, the bride and the groom. Besides that, no one else. They go home in alhamdulillah in their own cars. This is the beauty of our... So the, the girl, the female... You think the non-Muslims don't have problems with people being attracted to their, um, you know, to their, uh, you know, to their wife? Of course, they know about all these issues. They have the biggest, they have all these problems of, of, of infidelity and all those type of things. But then you say, this is how we do it. This is when our women are dressed at the peak. This is the absolute wrong moment for anyone besides the husband or the father to see their daughter or to see their wife. So this is how we have this event. You think they're not going to appreciate that? If there was any non-Muslim over here, I guarantee you would say, Samala, that, that's beautiful, man. That's right. So what we have to do is we need to set a standard for non-Muslim colleagues of yours and friends and not so practicing Muslims that you say, Bhai, this is the beauty of Islam. This is the beauty of the Sunnah. When he comes and he sees the beauty of it, he says, MashaAllah, man, this is why I love Islam. When the non-Muslims come here or converts come here, what do they love? They love the fact that we're sitting on the ground listening like this. They're shocked, like wow. And then they go outside and they have chai and, and biscuit and Kool-Aid and they sit down when the, the youth are sitting together, the adults are sitting together, meeting. This, man, we don't see this stuff in our churches. This is beautiful. The simple act of sitting on the floor and eating and sometimes pr pr practicing on the act of eating in one plate. Sunnah. That's a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to eat together for moms and dads, for husbands and wives, for children and parents, and for... Muslim brothers and sisters to share a plate. The Prophet some time, everyone shared a plate. That's how it used to be. When a non-Muslim enters and looks at that, or some, what is it? He is taken back by the beauty. You have a black man and a white man and a brown man and a yellow man sitting together and eating. Malcolm X wrote about this in his autobiography, right? He was moved by what he saw in Hajj. He wasn't, what moved him in Hajj was not the fact that the people in Hajj in the 60s were doing Hajj in the way non-Muslims were leading their life. No, then he would not have been affected by that. What affected him was what he saw was completely different from what he had seen growing up. And that hit his heart. And that turned his heart. And so the non-Muslims of today, or the not so practicing Muslims of today, they need to see true Islam. They need to see true Sunnah. Just like the prisoners of war during the Prophet ﷺ, they were accepting Islam when they were when they were tied to the pillar in the Masjid al-Nabawi, the, the uh, uh, Abu Lubaba story, right? Tied to the pillar as a POW. One day goes by, two day goes by, and Rasulullah is presenting Islam. And he says, "No, no, I'm not going to accept." Eventually, he unties him, right? I'm getting the name. I hope I'm getting the name right. But subhanAllah, and eventually he unties him and he leaves the masjid. And as soon as he leaves the masjid, and he's a free man, he initially said, he said in Tarham Tarham, um, what was it? He said, if you forgive me, you're gonna forgive me for some, you're gonna forgive someone who's got power. Someone who is gonna be appreciative of your forgiveness, I'll pay you back. If you untie me, let me go, 
I'm going to take care of you. I will appreciate you. But if you choose to kill me, guess what? I'm a very strong and well-known personality in my tribe. My blood will not go down wasted. My, my nation will retaliate and come after you. He's saying this to the Sahaba and to the Prophet ﷺ, whoever is asking him, accepting Islam. He says, let me go. I will appreciate you for what you've done. I'll pay you handsomely. And if you kill me, you will suffer the consequences. After the third day, khalas, in, in, you know, let, let him go. Untied him, let him go. He steps out of the masjid. He's been barely a few feet away. He says, Ashhadu la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. He accepts Islam. And immediately he, sa- he says, This is it. I accept Islam. So what happened? He said, I didn't want anyone to think that I have accepted Islam due to pressure. I wanted everyone, the world, to know I accept Islam out of my own will. And that never. It was not under the pressure and duress that I accepted Islam. That was when Sunnah is practiced in the masjid. Then those who are POWs will accept Islam. And when Deen is not practiced in the masjid, our own children leave Islam. Our own Muslim children, who are whose parents come to the masjid for the past twenty years, today are leaving Islam. Think about that. Their moms and dads go to the masjid, but the kids are leaving Islam. They even used to come to the masjid because they don't see Islam practiced in the masjid. They don't see Islam being practiced in the home. It reminded me of, a, of, of an article I just came across. They were saying there's so many prisoners of war in Afghanistan. And there's a whole list of them. I don't remember the exact number. I just came, I read, I saw the uh, uh, title of the article yesterday. That there was so, so many number, uh, number of uh, you know, allied forces who were fighting in, Iraq, in Afghanistan who were captured. And subhanAllah, such a large number of them, what happened to them? They accepted Islam. And they're saying, how many Muslims can you see who have stayed in captivity in the hands of non-Muslims have accepted Christianity or any other religion? That's the beauty of it, brothers. Anytime, anytime you, you practice the deen, even the enemy will say, khalas, you're on haq. So we have, we as Muslims have oppressed the non-Muslims the most because we have not portrayed them the real, true sunnah life. If we did, we wouldn't be able to handle the crowd of new Muslims. So let's inshallah make niyyah now that we will leave, lead a life of sunnah not only in the masjid but more along with that outside as well. In our interactions at work with our neighbors and in all our events we will present such a beautiful version of sunnah in Islam that anyone who comes in says mashallah this is you know beautiful. This is beautiful. That the simplicity in nikah. You know the youth who are listening to me you know, you can't, maybe the adults are too advanced. And they're too far off in life to change some of them. May Allah give them hidayah and give us hidayah. But at least those of you who are listening to my talk now, they, you know, especially the 18, 19 year olds, you have time to change. You, when you, by the time you get married, you can tell your parents that this is what I want. I'll pay for it, fine, no problem. But I want a simple nikah. I want, I want people to accept Islam at my marriage. I want my non-Muslim colleagues to show up at my marriage. I want my non-Muslim classmates to come and say, you know what, this is beautiful. Because of the way you all do things. Say inshallah. What a beautiful niyyah. That inshallah at my wedding, people will accept Islam. What an amazing gift for people to walk away with. How blessed is that gathering that this, this will be happening. I was overseas recently and I was shocked. They told me the wedding's overseas. So that's why I say certain things. We're so blessed. We do certain things that they don't even do in, in Muslim parts of, the, of India and even Pakistan possibly. Allahu alam. They're saying for weddings, we have people come. And they eat, and they eat, and they eat, and then they criticize and go home. 
I, I was, they were like, this is the culture. This is the norm. I said, where is the bayan of the Mawlana Sahib? They said, no, the bayan. What, where is the qira'ah? There's no qira'ah. Where is the nasheed? There's no nasheed. I said, what's the program? Nothing. You come, you eat, and you eat, and then you criticize. That's part of the culture. This wasn't like that. This wasn't good. This wasn't good. Astaghfirullah What a mal'oon, manhus, you know, environment. Where this is norm. There's no talk of deen. You have 100, 200, or 1,000, 2,000 people coming who are not following you. What an amazing opportunity to give them some guidance. But instead of that, the, the opposite of that is happening that people are eating and criticizing. Nabi said, Ma'abar Rasulullah ta'aman qat. The Prophet never, ever, ever found fault in food. In ishtaha akala. If he enjoyed it, he ate it. And if he didn't like it, he would leave it. How can we go to a, a nine course walima food meal and then after that make fun of it and make, you know, find fault in it? But I was told this has become the culture. Very sad to hear. So what is, what is the gist of this ayah? We have to focus on not falling from the esteem of Allah and not worry about falling from the esteem of the people. Let's share a hadith on this topic again to wrap up this beautiful section here. Is the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, whoever makes an effort to please Allah, even though it becomes a means of displeasing the people, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will number one, become pleased with him. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala eventually will make all of what he did, his actions, look beautiful in the eyes of others. And number three, eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make everyone who became upset at him happy before he leaves this world. Three things. The one who pleases Allah, even if it means upsetting others, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will become pleased with him. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will beautify his actions in front of others so that they will also realize how beautiful that is. Eventually. Not now, maybe not this night, not next week. It'll take time, but it will happen. And third is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make all those people who he upset in order to please him, eventually they will become happy with him. So it's a win-win situation. On the other hand, whoever Whoever makes Allah angry in order to please the people. Allah will become upset and angry at him. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make all those people who he had pleased, Allah will make every single one of them eventually angry at him. Eventually he will turn their hearts against him. So it's a lose-lose situation. And so the way we should move forward is focus on what, what does Allah think of me? That's it. That's, that's, that's the most important question. Yet indeed, I am most forgiving. Okay, you made a mistake. You're listening. I'm listening. I'm speaking. I'm thinking about my sins. You're thinking about your sins as we sit here and speak about this. What's going to happen? Inshallah, we say, Ya Allah, please forgive me. So Allah says, Indeed, I am most forgiving. Right? Ghaffar is hyperbolic form, right? Hyperbolic form. It is sifat mubalagha. Yani extremely forgiving. Liman taba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rahim. Now sometimes, my dear brothers and sisters, we have this whole misunderstanding. What is that? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is gonna forgive me so I can do whatever I want. This ayah is saying, yes, Allah is most willing to forgive, wanting to forgive, but liman taba for the one who repents. If a person does not repent, then we cannot expect to be getting forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ said that Allah says in the hadith Qudsi, لو جئتني بملء السماوات والأرض خطايا غفرتها لك ولا أبالي. If you come to me with with heavens and earth filled with sins, 
I will forgive all of them for you. And I could care less. Meaning the one who repents, and he comes with years and decades and decades of sin, of all sorts. But he is repenting, and he is truly apologetic, that no matter how horrible those sins may have been, Allah says, Ghaffar, I am willing to forgive them. But you have to do tawbah. Without tawbah, it's not going to work. What does tawbah mean? Tawbah requires number one, al-iqla'an al-dham. Immediately leave the sin. You have to leave it right now. You can't say, I'll try it tomorrow. No. Right now, say, inshallah, I'm going to leave this sin. Number two, is you make niyyah never to go back to it. Again, not like, oh, I'm going to stop it now, I'm going to go back to it tomorrow. Again, this is what you call making a joke and a mockery with Allah. Don't make a joke. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Don't be like that lady who used to, uh, you know, in, in Mecca, she used to, she used to take, a, 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 um, uh, you know, uh, spin the yarn and used to make something. And then at the end of the night, she would sit there and unspun everything. Whatever sweater she made or whatever she had made, a hat or whatever, she would sit there and untie everything. The whole morning she'd be, you know, taking that yarn and making something, and at the end of the night or the next day she would break everything. And the people used to say she's mad, and she's lost her mind. Why would you do something like that? Allah Azza says, don't be like that. Once you get into a relationship with Allah of tawbah, ya Allahi nasuha. Oh believers, return to Allah and repent to Allah with a tawbah nasuha, with a complete tawbah, a tawbah in which you don't break that tawbah. Yes, can we slip and fall? Most definitely. We're human beings. We will slip and fall. But let us not intend to slip and fall. No one burns their hand because they have an extra bottle of burn cream at home. No one cuts themselves with a kitchen knife purposefully because they brought a brand new box of band-aids. Toba is a band-aid. Toba is a burn cream. Why sin thinking that you've got toba available? Tawbah is available for someone who, slept, who slipped and fell. And then you use it. Not that you intentionally sin with the niyyah that I'll do tawbah tomorrow. That is a very big deception of shaitan. So the first thing is you leave the sin immediately. Number two, you make niyyah not to go back to it again. Number three, along with that is, you seek forgiveness from Allah for it with nadama, with sadness in your heart. We have to feel remorse. If there's no remorse, then there's a big problem. One hadith mentions, Remorse itself is tawbah. If you simply feel bad about something, MashaAllah, that's tawbah. Right there. That's a very strong step. That you feel guilty about what has happened, that itself is a beautiful, powerful step towards your tawbah. To leaving the sin, making niya never to go back to it again. And seeking forgiveness from Allah with, repent, with sadness, and, la- and then, if, if what you and I have done includes someone else, we have usurped someone else's right, then we need to seek forgiveness from that individual. And last but not least, some ulama have added this beautiful point, is you have to have an exit strategy from your current lifestyle. If you really mean business, astaghfirullah, feel, I feel so moved from this XYZ talk I heard, or this gathering of dhikr, I want to change my life. Okay, mashallah. But if, it, if you don't have a game plan, then that's just cheap talk. Those are what we call crocodile tears. Those are just like a spur of the moment emotion. Iman rush. That none of that stuff really goes anywhere. 
You, if you, in the moment when you are crying, in the moment when you're tearing up, in the moment when you feel moved, in the moment when you're, and you're going through that iman rush, you have, to, you have to sit down and come up with a strategy. How do I actively want to give up this sin I am involved in? Say someone is, is looking at haram. You cannot just say, oh, Ya Allah, please forgive me. How is that going to work? What are you going to do today that's different from the last 700 days of your life? Seriously. Someone can't wake up for Fajr. Someone is missing their Isha. Someone is in a haram relationship. How do you expect to change if you don't have an exit strategy from this? You have to write it down. Clearly, how am I going to get out of this haram business? Haram loan. If a person is involved in interest, you will never get the tawfiq to get, and I will not ever give the tawfiq to get out of this unless we repent. We're not saying to step out of the house and sleep on the street today. We're not saying call into the office tomorrow and fire all your employees and say we're closing down the business because we have interest money in it. No, I never said that. No one says that. We say you have to make niyyah today that if interest and haram money is in your business or in your home, you say, Ya Allah, I need to get out of this. I make niyyah right now, and until I don't get out of it every single night, I'm going to pray two rakat salat tawbah. And I'm going to ask Allah to allow me to restructure my business and my loan in a manner that I can get out of haram. So now, if a person passes away before he gets out of haram, inshallah, he still will be forgiven. Because he was trying to get out of that mess. The example of this is like the one who killed 99 people and then eventually killed the 100th person because he said, you can't be forgiven. And on the way to the next town where he was planning to do tawbah, he passed away. He hadn't actually fully repented yet. He was on the way to the other town. But because he was on the way to the other town, Allah forgave him. You know that story from Bani Israel. So the one who comes up with an exit strategy from sin, even if he's not able to be clean and pure right now in the next couple of months or even couple of years, but he's actively working out on a strategy, we hope Allah will raise him amongst those who have been already forgiven. So I am most forgiving of all who repents. Okay, وَآمَنَا And who believes. وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا And does righteous deeds. And then thereafter remains guided. Ulama say here, that iman dictates doing righteous deeds. When a person says, by hamitu Allah We have the fear of Allah. By hamitu Allah By we're Muslims. We are mu'mineen. The, you know, the, you know where, what you call? Where the, the, the actions speak louder than words. The proof is in the pudding. I'm saying I'm a believer. Okay, let's look at the actions. How am I raising my children? What are my priorities with regards to raising my kids? If someone says, I'm a pakka such a musalman, right? I'm a practicing strong Muslim. Let's look at the kids. Let's look at the children. Look at the little ones. If they got little ones, especially when you have some level of control. What, what level of deen do the kids have? Are they praying their salah? Are they staying away from haram? Are they punctual on their sunnah? Are they aware of what's right and what's wrong? Do they have a sense of taqwa? Then we can, you know, you want to see if the muffin is ready, you put a toothpick inside it. So you can put a toothpick into the kids. You can put a toothpick into the weddings. You can put a toothpick into their source of income. You can put a toothpick into the lifestyle at home. You can put a toothpick into the misuse or the correct use of their eyes and ears. What do you fall asleep listening to? Quran or techno music or rap? And that's another, another long journey, subhanAllah, issue. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. The, the, the musicians of today are some of the biggest, yani biggest, biggest agents of shaitan. Why do you need to wait for Dajjal? Dajjal's already here. All of these musicians and the moms and dads don't even know the lyrics. My beloved brothers, 
You will puke and vomit till you will fall down to the ground if you read the lyrics of some of the latest music that comes out. Subhanallah. Yani most of us, most of us cannot even understand the level of of fuhsh, the level of lewdness beyond. Yani you know these words are inspired by Iblis himself. I cannot imagine a human being writing something like this. And I can never imagine a female of the worst type writing something like this. Where is this coming from? This is coming from, as the Quran says, Indeed, the shayateen, they communicate with one another. The human and the jinn shayateen communicate with one another with attractive words. Music is attractive. Gurura to mislead people. Those lyrics of some of the most famous pop artists and the singers are nothing but satanically inspired to mislead billions and millions of people. They have the highest following in the world more than any other person in the world. The highest following in the world on Twitter and Facebook and social media, Instagram, is who? Of these artists. And they control the minds of the youth and the adults. And whether in the, in, in, in now in the Muslim world, unfortunately, they've been introduced into the Muslim world by their own agents. And so now they are taking in millions of new worshippers. There are millions of new satanic worshippers. They don't realize, they're coming to salah. They may even memorize the Qur'an. But if you listen to that trash, I can't even call it trash. We, we, are, uh, we, are, we are abusing the word trash by calling it trash. Right? The trash doesn't deserve to be associated with this type of music. But this is what, what is happening. You know, as fathers and mothers, do you know what your child is listening to when you're walking around with the headphone? When you're walking around with their, you know, ear, uh, what's that? Earpods, huh? Earpods. All of those things. What is he listening to in his room? What is she listening to? She's become a shaitan. Yes, yes. You know why she's become a shaitan? Because of what she's listening to. We all talk about what she's eating and he's eating at the earlier part of the talk. We talked about what they're looking at and now what they're listening to. So if you look at haram, you listen to haram, you eat haram, what do you expect? An angel coming out? Of course not. So as now when we say we're pakka such a musalman, we're true Muslims, how can we not keep an eye on what's happening on these things? And as youngsters who are here listening to me and those listening online, if you think you want to be a, tr- a strong Muslim and you want to you give da'wah to others, please take care of what you watch and eat first. Please take care of what you hear and listen first before you want to conquer the world. You won't even be able to conquer the MSA. Right? You won't be able to conquer anyone unless and until a person is be careful of what he takes in. As Imam Ghazali has mentioned, like the heart is like a lake, a pond. The eyes, the ears, the tongue, and the mind, all of these are four small creeks that go into this pond. Whatever you hear, whatever you look at, whatever you speak, and whatever you think leads into this heart. If what you look at, what you think, what you speak, and is, is that which, what you hear is haram, filthy, and dirty, you cannot expect anything but an extremely dirty sewage inside the heart. And when you have a disgusting, dirty sewage inside the heart, you cannot expect good deeds to come out of there. And if what we hear, what we listen, what we think, and what we speak is pure and clean, then you will have a beautiful water, a fountain, a spring, like you have in the, in the glaciers, melting glaciers. That's what you have in your heart. And you can only expect great things coming out of there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable me, enable all of you, and enable our children, our parents, and our siblings to protect our eyes and our ears 
and our minds and our tongues from haram. Say ameen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purify the filth of our hearts. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Thumma tada. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, thereafter he remains guided. Meaning it's not sufficient to make tawbah and do righteous deeds. Thumma. Then he remains guided till death. Not that you have a few years of, of excitement in college life, and then you take a turn. College life is a very interesting few years. People go in a josh mode. They get excited. They get participating in, in various Islamic activities. And mashallah, I've seen amazing changes in college students. The question is, what happens after college when you get into the workforce? That the demographic of our community is not connected to the masjid. I speak with other imams and scholars, and they always say that. The professionals from ages 23 onwards, let's say 23 to 40, right? Or 25 to 40. The guys have graduated, got their masters, or did their residencies, or whatnot, and they're working now. Maybe even take it up to 26, so you know. They're out of university. They don't have the environment. Now they're working, they're earning good money. They're living in nice places. And they're busy, busy with life. That unfortunate demographic is, is they don't, they're too big to be under their parents. You know, they feel too busy to be connected to daily masjids. They may come at the end of a, a Jummah, and that's about it. And the problem is, they are the parents of the next generation. Allahu Akbar. What are we going to do now? When the practicing masjid-going parents couldn't raise their kids properly, for the most part, I mean, could not make them remaining Muslims or remaining you know, cognizant of Allah, then what do you expect with people who, who are, whose start is so messed up? So we're worried about that demographic. We have to make an effort on that demographic. So the youth who are in college life right now, don't think that everything's set right now. You have to remain firm way beyond college life. Until the akhirah. And that's, of course, whatever I'm telling you is for me. Now it's easy to be here today. We don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. So, subhanAllah, the story of Samiri is something, inshaAllah, we'll get into a very amazing story next week. Well, in Bidhinillah Ta'ala, where Allah Azza wa Jal discusses what happened when Musa salam came to take the message from Allah Azza wa Jal. He ran ahead of the people, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Look behind, where's everyone? He said, They're coming. No, they're not coming. I have put them through a big trial. And Musa salam had to give up that amazing enjoyment of speaking with Allah. And he had to run back to take care of his people. Amazing lessons, inshallah, we're going to cover next week. Uh, let us take a moment here to get our, some of our questions answered. You can use the QR code here to ask or go to slido.com and enter 4199845. 4199845. Like we said, are you able to close the So if someone wants, if you have a detailed question, you can send it and you can put a t your phone number in there or an email address or you can email it to the masjid as well. And inshallah, we'll try our best to reach out to you. Uh, and, and, and you know, we know, alhamdulillah, we're getting a lot of questions every week, but we definitely can't get, get to each one of them. Um, and, but inshallah, that's there. And second thing is, this is scan me for the group, right? So if you scan this, you will inshallah, uh, 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 you'll be joining a Google form, and that's why we want to keep track and connect with those who attend the tafsir regularly. We know it's, we were trying to figure out a good method. I hope this works. So we are in connect, connect, constant connection with those who are attending the tafsir. If they have questions, if they have suggestions, if we can help them out in any way, we can. Similarly, if there's any changes to the program, we can inform them. And we can follow up with reminders as well. So scan this inshallah. All of you who are uh, want to be making niyyah to be part of the regular uh, Tuesday night tafsir, uh, please do so. And if you have questions, you can scan this one inshallah. Nasheeds with background music. Yeah, you can start. Nasheed with um, background humming sounds is okay. Not background music. 
What is the proper way to do istikhara? Perform two rakat, do a proper nice wudu. Pray two rakat salatul istikhara. The surah is normal, any surah that you want to recite. But you make niyyah of salatul istikhara. Then after that, you praise Allah, send salutations upon the Prophet wasallam, And then recite the dua of istikhara, which you can find in one of the dua books downstairs in the bookstore, or you can find online. Allahumma yastakhiruka bi'ilmika, wa astakhiruka bi'qudratika, wa as'aluka bin fadlika al-azim. Fa'innaka taqdir wa la aqdir, wa ta'alam wa la a'lam, wa anta a'lamu al-ghuyub. Allahumma in kunta ta'lamu anna hadha al-amr onwards. Right, so the idea is you're asking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, I'm sorry, you're asking astakhiruka. I'm asking khair, I'm asking goodness from Allah. That's what it means. Oh Allah, I'm asking goodness. A dream is not mandatory or necessary. A dream has not been mentioned anywhere in, this, in the hadith that you must see a dream. Okay? You're seeing green and white and red. Can that mean something? Yes, definitely dreams have meanings. But it doesn't mean that you have to have a dream. Uh, someone says, I'm feeling this way and feeling that way. Not even that. Instead, what it is, is that you do your istikhara and you start moving forward. And if everything falls apart, you tried and tried and tried and tried, then inshallah, you should have this hope in Allah that that was not good for you. That's why Allah saved you from it. And if everything automatically starts falling into place, or you, you meet people who keep on convincing, convincing you, and you feel content of course, and the things are just falling into place, then you expect that this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to happen, make it happen in your life. It comes in one narration that the Prophet ﷺ used to teach istikhara to his sahaba the way a surah is taught. Meaning, everyone should know salatul istikhara dua and make it a regular. It's not only for marriage. I know most of you think it's for marriage only, but that's not the case. It is for anything and everything you can do istikhara. There are short, short duas of istikhara as well. Like, Allahumma khirli wa khtarli Allahumma khirli wa khtarli Or Allahumma alhimna marashida umurina Wa'ivna min shururi anfusina Where you're asking Allah to choose for you something which is, uh, which is good Or you're asking Allah to inspire you with what is good And save you from what is evil, etc. So those smaller du'as you should memorize as well Allahumma khirli wa khtarli Allahumma alhimna marashida umurina Wa'ivna min shururi anfusina You can get books of du'a per, um, you know, from our bookstore or online And, and, and memorize the small du'as and du'a of istikhara as well and, and utilize that regularly, inshallah. I want to have a simple nikah, but my parents and in-laws don't have the same views. I'm very uncomfortable with the situation, but feeling helpless, please advise. May Allah reward this person and make it easy for this individual. Say ameen. We all make in dua for you, sister, brother, whoever you may be, that Allah Azza wa Jal makes your parents and in-laws to be able to understand and make your wedding an amazing uh, you know, uh, uh, source of inspiration for others. Ameen. The thing is, you need to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember, I'm not, say, I'm not saying here, go, uh, you know, run out of the house. I didn't say pick a fight. Absolutely not. But you need to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give sadaqah. Fast. How many of you fasted for this? Fast every other day. Fast. Many boys and girls are saying, oh, I want to get married to so and so. My mom and dad are saying, no. Should I get married without the permission? And the answer is, no. Don't get married without the permission of your parents and go against them. And my answer is to the parents, Please, please do not bring in the Punjabi and Hyderabadi business. Right? This is absolutely harmful. There's a small video clip, subhanAllah, of Mufti Mank that I came across a while back, a year ago. And he's literally, he's like, I'm in an airport about to catch a flight, but I have to record this video. And he's like, I'm, the amount of emails and private messaging I'm getting from boys and girls who want to commit suicide because of their parents not allowing them to get married to someone who's a Muslim, practicing Muslim, simply because they come from a different background. Or the amount of Muslim boys and girls who are now ready 
to, to remain, to continue their relationship with that other person without nikah. Because their parents are saying no. So my message to the parents who are listening to me is please do not do this. Please do not do this because if they fall into sin because of our mistake, we will share the burden of that sin. We will share the burden of that sin. Yes. So do not bring in. Yes, if you have a legitimate excuse of, the, not excuse, explanation, then you explain it. But this is not the zamana in the era to say, your son and one daughter want to get married to someone who's Muslim and say, um, absolutely not. Because guess what? He could care less. He's already done. You know, I'm telling you, you all, the parents don't know what, I'm, what you're talking about. That, father, that son and daughter who will say, I want to come, please, Baba, I want to get married to someone. You should thank Allah that he or she was asking about. Because a vast major, a vast, a huge number of people don't ask their parents and have already done much, much too much to be said. Okay, you don't. The parents don't know about that. They absolutely don't know what is already has happened and what is going on at the moment as, as we're sitting and speaking here right now. So if you are lucky to have a son and daughter to come say, I want to get married, Baba, Ami, I want to get married to so and so. Thank Allah, praise to Rakasatu Shukr that you have a sane child, who has some level of taqwa within them. Because the environment outside is of zina. That's why the youth today don't want to get married. Why a 36-year-old doesn't want to get married? Why a 33-year-old? Nah, I'm okay, man. What do you mean you're okay? You know, and I'm very frank on issues of this sort. As either you got to go see a doctor, or you're committing haram. One of the two things. What is this supposed to mean? That a person says, I don't need to get married. Allah, this is unnatural against the fitrah. There's the reason they're saying that is because the, uh, the, uh, the, the opportunities of haram are every second. And halal has become so much more difficult. So, for parents, please facilitate marriage for your kids. Make it easy. And I'm available all the time. Inshallah, I'll make time for you. If you have an issue, you say, okay, is my child speaking right or I'm speaking right? Speak to some scholar or come speak to me or whatever the case may be. We'll sit down and sort it out. Sometimes the children need to be explained, but you need to explain it to them. You can't put the foot down and say, he speaks Punjabi and we speak Hyderabadi, or he speaks Siraiki and we speak you know, Farsi, or whatever. These are not reasons to say no to a marriage anymore. Right? Otherwise, it's, it's going to cause much, much... The deen is... If deen is found there, that's what we got to do. Okay, and then for the youth, my message to you is please do not go against your parents. Because the purpose of marriage is... What? The purpose of marriage is to join families. Not to separate, to separate families. And when you do something like that, then that, that is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to separate the marriage. SubhanAllah, we just got into one, a few questions, but I know this is half of, your, half of the youth here had the same question. So Alhamdulillah, um, I think that answers a lot. The rest of you asked, you can um, inshallah ask again next week. I hope this is a motivation for you to come back next week. We see people who come every week, and then the people who come, you know, Alhamdulillah, once a week and then they don't show up or one, one week and they don't come up for a long time. So the barakah will come when you come from the beginning of the talk and you come every single week. And this is where the barakah will come. Here, I would like you to please scan this. If you haven't already done so, those who are listening online and those listening here, this is a great way to uh, stay connected, inshallah, um, and, and get motivated to continue attending. And inshallah, I pray to Allah Azza wa Jal that whatever I've said, if it was a benefit indeed, it was from Allah. And may He make it easy for me and my family to, uh, to practice on it. Say Ameen. And may He make it easy for all of you to practice on it and propagate it to others. If any mistakes were done, uh, uh, if I hurt anyone's feelings, please forgive me for that. And I ask Allah Azza wa Jal for forgiveness for that. We have a few minutes for Isha. Let's do a minute or two minutes of dhikr, inshallah. And then we will conclude uh, with for Salat al-Isha.
For those of you who are joining us first time, we do a few moments of dhikr after our gatherings. And if, if dhikr can be done softly, dhikr can be done out loud, dhikr can be done individually, dhikr can be done collectively. Dhikr can be done only in your heart as well. There are many ways of doing dhikr. If you, for reference, there is downstairs a great book in English, Sabahatul Fikr, that is translated into English from Arabic, that talks about all the proofs from Quran and Sunnah on the permissibility of doing dhikr out loud and collectively. So instead of walking away confused or criticizing without learning, I advise you to go get a book from, ask one of the students or ask me, and you can grab the book from downstairs, inshallah, ta'ala, and it will help you answer some of your questions. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Sallallahu ala Muhammad 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 sallallahu alayhi wa sallam صلى الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم 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 استغفر الله 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 Announcement before we do dua, inshallah. This coming weekend here at Darussalam, inshallah, the Tafim program, the weekend program will be beginning. Uh, please. Um, uh, inshallah benefit from that for boys, girls, college students, high school students, working adults This is a weekend program, part-time, Saturday or Sunday, on-site or online, 10 a.m. till Dhuhr 
We're going to be covering this semester from amongst the many uh, uh, classes. We're going to be covering the family of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We're going to be covering the fiqh of uh, fasting, zakat, and hajj. We are going to be covering, inshallah, the sciences of the Quran. We're going to be covering the fiqh of finance. We're going to be covering the signs of the hour. These six classes will be taught three on Saturday, three on Sunday, on-site and online for brothers and sisters. The details are at masjidds.org. This is a great opportunity for college and high school students and working adults as they go back to school. Uh, please, inshallah, try to benefit from these courses. Number two, our Sunday school registration is open and will be continue to remain open. Classes will, inshallah, begin this Sunday. So try your best to bring your youth, your youngsters to the classes that are taught by seminary students while you yourself benefit from the advanced uh, or the so somewhat advanced uh, tafim classes, inshallah, on the weekend. Um, and uh, last but not least, alhamdulillah, there, are, uh, there is actually... Um, uh, Umrah, the, the, the group that usually t we go with for Umrah So there is an Umrah group going out next Friday Inshallah um, for, for, during the, for the Memorial Day weekend Inshallah there's going to be ones in November Ones in December ta'ala. And so there's one also leaving on, on Friday Next Friday as well Alhamdulillah very amazing news Amazing news is You may have heard last week That they have opened up the, uh, the uh, uh, area around the Kaaba So now after t over two years You can actually touch the Kaaba and kiss the stone Say Subhanallah Right? This is something which was really uh, weighing down so heavily on me for so many, for the past two years. That we've been deprived of, of touching the Kaaba and, and being able to kiss the black stone. Alhamdulillah, uh, you know, as long as that's there, we don't know how long that will last, but as long as that's open, we should definitely all make niya, whether it's next Friday or whether it's November, December, make, definitely make niya, inshallah, to go visit the blessed cities before, you know, things again, Allah forbid, change. And inshallah, please take a note of this, the flyer that is right now on the screen. This is this weekend's Tafim program. I request you, inshallah, please try your best to spread the word. As I said, it's on-site and online. And starting over this weekend, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all those who are making intention to join and benefit. And we ask Allah azawajal to continue to accept the efforts of our students, our volunteers, our teachers, our patrons, and our staff members. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallahum bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimeen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.